talk about why I had success in Boston. It's a 26.2 mile race that this year that felt like 30, right? Like you add in the wind and the conditions and it's, it suddenly feels longer, which is part of why I have this advantage in, in my mind. And so why not test that theory out in the actual distance? You know, I think that there's, I can finish a marathon feeling like I could probably go another 10 miles. I just couldn't go a lick faster. So let's see how far we can extend that. Um, I I think those are all intriguing to me. That's Des Linden. And this is episode 40 of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back or welcome to the Morning Shakeout podcast, where every week I glean insight and inspiration from some of the top athletes, coaches, and personalities in the sport of running. Uh, And this week is certainly no exception. I am super excited to welcome my first returning guest back to the show. It is none other than 2018 Boston Marathon champion, Des Linden. She hardly needs an introduction, but I'm going to give you a short one. As I mentioned, she won the Boston Marathon back in April, first American woman to do so in a very, very long time. Uh, She was sixth at New York this past November, and all kinds of stuff transpired in between. She launched a coffee company, she changed coaches, she made the media rounds, and we talked about all those things and then some over the course of this conversation. We also got into what she's most interested in pursuing after her competitive marathon career is over. Uh, I'll give you a little clue. The intro to this show should give you some idea of what Des is thinking about once 26.2 is no longer interesting to her. Uh, We also talked about her scrappiness. We talked about competitiveness, authenticity, and all sorts of good stuff. I'm going to leave it at that. You are going to enjoy this conversation. I loved being a part of it. So without further ado, here is my chat with 2018 Boston Marathon champion, Des Linden. The conversation actually was, do you want to get lunch first and then do Mario's thing, or would you rather just do Mario's thing and then get lunch? And it was, this is not going Well, since I'm never going to drop Desi in a race, I'm going to try to drop her here on the podcast Challenge. and see if we can Game on. see if we can keep her going <laughs> until she passes out from hunger. Yeah. Um, but Des Linden, you are the first returning guest to the Morning mm-hmm. Shakeout podcast, so welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We're here in Austin at the running event. You are here on behalf of your sponsors. Tell me a little bit about what your week has looked like so far. Yeah, this has been super fun. I'm here with Brooks, and um, yesterday they had me come in and hang out at happy hour and then go to dinner. Um, And then today I did a podcast earlier. Um, I will serve whiskey and take pictures later. It's kind of the best job in the world, so I'm I'm having a great time. Rumor has it you were crowd surfing last night as uh, well. I cannot confirm. <laughs> yeah, no, I was definitely doing I'll own that. I'll own that. But I was not alone. I'll leave that out there. So you ran <laughs> New York City Marathon a little less than a month ago. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. And let's split that into two parts. I'd love okay. to get your initial thoughts on it, what you were feeling like in the day or two after the race. And yeah. I'd love to get your thoughts on how you feel about it now when you're a few weeks removed and you've had time to digest it. Yeah. Um, I, when I've crossed the line, I was like, I don't feel beat up at all. I have so much running left in my legs. Like I was really frustrated. I just haven't, um, ever finished a race where you're not like totally gassed, but I think it was, it was a good chance to just try something different. Um, I mean, I've always felt like I've been 
an aggressor in a lot of races, at least getting the pace, to be honest, um, maybe not making big moves, but putting it to a certain pace. And I just wanted to be patient and just see what I could do with, the, you know, a, a different style race. So I get why I felt so fresh afterwards. And it was just, it was, it was run more like a 25 K. Um, I know that won't be my best tactic ever, but it was good to just see, uh, where I fit in with that and, and just try something different. So, um, I think I was frustrated that I felt good afterwards and that hasn't, I mean, I still feel that way, but I think I learned a lot. Um, and I thought I, I thought I managed it really well. Like and now looking with some, some time in there, um, I thought I managed it really well. Um, and I think we'll go back and make some adjustments to training and race tactics and I'll have, you know, one more kind of style in the, in the whole thing that I can do. And, um, yeah, so it was a really great learning experience. It's just kind of a little bit frustrating to have to look back at it and go, oh, I didn't put everything out there. Take me through the race itself. It was pretty tame for the first half, and then things just exploded. I mean, Mary yeah. Catani dropped a 60, was it 66, 58 or something ridiculous the second half. <laughs> I mean, even all of you behind her ran a relatively fast second yeah. half, considering the fact that it was a marathon, even though it was a long warm-up. But take me through sort of the first half of the race where you're all sort of bunched together and there wasn't much action happening. Right, yeah. I mean, I think it was Stephanie Rostin who kind of took the first mile out and, you know, we, we were joking about it before we even started, like how slow do you think it's going to go? Like who's going to jump and when, um, and we were, <laughs> we were probably on pace to run seven minutes for the first mile. It's uphill, but come on, like we're, we're out here to race. Uh, and then it just sort of stayed that way. No one really wanted to run a marathon. It, it felt like, um, so there wasn't much that happened. There was a few times everyone gets really antsy with water stops. And I felt like in that type of congestion and like with that many people there, I wanted to just be out in front of it. Um, so I think people were like, Oh, she's surging, but it was just like, I'm going to make sure I get to my fluids without any trouble. And if that means picking you up to a 5:45, it's totally reasonable. Cause we're jogging right now, you know, it's, um, so that was a few times where going into water stops, I kind of stretched things out a little bit. Um, but yeah, no one was really interested in making it a, a 26.2. So it was, it was okay. I just required a lot of patience. <laughs> Do you feel uncomfortable in that situation? Cause as you said, that's typically not your style. Yeah. I mean, I definitely did. It was uh, a little nerve wracking cause I, I wouldn't traditionally do that, but I also just kind of wanted to see what would happen. Like, how do I fare in this different type of race and who's going to get antsy and when, and, you know, there's a lot of chatter about people ready for breakthroughs and, you know, ready to run fast and it was perfect conditions. So I honestly was really surprised that no one wanted to, to go to the front. (laughs) Take me through that moment in the race when it did start to break open and all of a sudden things were strung out and you're like, okay, now we're really racing, but we're only racing for you know, an hour, a little over an hour, not, yeah. you know, two and a half at, at, at this point. What was your mindset in that moment? Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest mistake I made on the day. Um, you know, I was like, all right, we're, we're racing pretty hard now. And I'm still thinking in 26.2. So I, I ran like 522, 520, 517. And I'm like, this is too hot. Like this is, this is pretty rich for, for a marathon, but really at that point I needed to be thinking like we're running a 20 K or 25 K and just, you know, had locked in with it. So I definitely goofed and just 
backed off just a touch. Um, and then I was a little too conservative for a couple of miles and, you know, I just ran the entire thing from there by myself. Um, but it is, it changes the game. It's like, this isn't, this isn't 26.2 anymore. You're really getting after a 20 K or 25 K. So stuff. <laughs> so with every marathon, we learn something, whether sure. you're at the front of the field, you're at the back of the pack or somewhere in between, what were your biggest learnings from New York and the way that you ran the race? Yeah, I think it was good to see that I could, you know, cover the back half in 112. And, um, you know, that's pretty solid. Obviously, you want to, for me, it's always going to be better to make it a longer distance. So it's finding that sweet spot where, um, like, how much can I lead? How long, when do I want to start pressing the pace, so on and so forth. So I think found a better balance there. Um, But there's also a lot of confidence. I mean, I did run basically the entire second half alone. So... You know, if you, if you have to lead, is it any different from doing that all by yourself? Um, yeah, so there was there was a lot of stuff, a lot of takeaways, and we'll put it into meaningful things at some point. <laughs> Last time we chatted, it's episode three, I believe, for uh-huh. those of you listening at home, if you want to go back and tune into that, you explained post-Boston 2017 how you were in a funk and it took you a while before you were ready to start training again, even thinking about getting back to the marathon. Fast forwarding to pass that conversation, then Boston 2018 happened, yeah. and race of your life in a number of, on a number of different levels broke through, got the win, first major win. What was, what was life like after Boston 2018 versus after 2017. I imagine they were very different, but I'd love to learn how they were very different. <laughs> yeah, just uh, polar opposite. I think those 17, there was so much disappointment and questioning and um, frustration and, you know, just a lot of things that really made me question why I was doing this and whether I wanted to continue to do it. And I think wrestling with those things and, um, you know, getting back at it in 2018 in Boston had a big obviously a big part of the outcome there, um, just being in it and recognizing that is really special to have those opportunities, uh, crossing the finish line after the aftermath of that was, uh, I didn't have time to think about anything. <laughs> it was just kind of go, go, go. And sometimes we have success and we forget to pause and process why, you know, it's like, Oh, everything went fine. Why would I analyze or critique or look back? Um, so I, I feel like that part actually never really happened, which is kind of a, a weird thing to recognize. I mean, like kind of figuring that out right now. Um, but it was also such an odd day that I'm not sure lessons will really matter um, moving forward. I don't anticipate having those conditions again, but who knows? <laughs> yeah. Was it validating for you in any way, the outcome? Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've debuted in Boston and, you know, I've, felt like I'm great on that course and like I really know that place well and I know the how to run it well and how to prepare for Boston and it's different it's you know in Chicago Berlin places like that you train for 26.2 in Boston you train for Boston and I think that I've been great in Boston so um it was good to break through and and I've been close and uh done it on a tailwind I've done it on a hot day I've done it in you know horrible conditions so for me, it was good to have it happen there. Um, I think it validated that I'm great in Boston. <laughs> After Boston 2017, like, you know, I think on, I think you had said to me, like, you weren't sure where you were going to go after that or if, yeah. like, 
maybe that was it for you. You know, you didn't have the spark for a while after that race. After Boston 2018, did it go in the opposite direction at all? Where you're like, I still got this. I can still compete at this level. Um, granted, that was, as you said, a, a weird day, and there were, you know, odd circumstances that played, you know, in your favor, and you were able to to capitalize on them. But did it kind of motivate you to keep going for a little while longer? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when you have success, it's like, what else can we do? What else is there? Is there, um, and I'd been so close in 11 and it was like, I think I have it in me. I know like I've been close. I can compete with these people and, you know, it does take a little bit of luck and, you know, so having weird conditions is part of the game and, um, on the right day, I can compete with these people and I can be the best and I can win. And so, uh, yeah, it just kind of makes you hungry for more, yeah. for sure. But that was a seven-year gap between yeah. that runner-up <laughs> finish at Boston yeah. and what you did last year. And sure. it's it's actually crazy to hear myself say that because it doesn't seem like <laughs> it was that long. In yeah. some regards, I feel like that happened yesterday. But yeah. a lot happened during that time. I mean, there was a, an Olympic Games. You had some pretty traumatic injuries that you had to work through. And it definitely was not a smooth road from yeah. 2011 to 2018. Yeah, I feel like I've had, it's been like polar opposite, you know, like 2011 breakthrough, top of the world, I'm going to win one of these, you know, the sky's the limit, 2012, make the Olympics and have to drop out, biggest injury of my career, like, you couldn't get any higher highs and lower lows, um, and kind of going in 17, 2017, was the fall being like, I'm, I don't know if I even want to do this, and then boom, like six months later, at the top of the sport going, okay, like, let's go, let's get after this. Let's see what else I can do. Um, I think it's, you have to really try mentally to get to the sweet spot and not just dive into those highs and lows too much. You know, you got to stay pretty level. Let's talk about what's happened since your win in Boston. As you said, right after the race, you barely had any time to think. You were like whisked off right away to this interview and then that interview and this appearance. Probably yeah. didn't sleep for a couple <laughs> weeks, I imagine. Was that overwhelming or did you try to just soak it up as best you could because that was the moment that you had been waiting for your entire career? Yeah. Um, it's You picture breaking the tape a million times, right? And you know what that's going to look like. You know what it's going to feel like, smell like the whole thing. And then the second after it, was totally unprepared. Um, but it was just really recognizing that it was once in a lifetime and try to appreciate every second of it. Um, it was, it's difficult because there was so many amazing things coming my way. It's like, how can this get any better? This is incredible. And then like something else cool would happen. I'm like, this is the craziest thing ever. But I did really try to pause and like enjoy it all. Cause you know, you never know. I mean, there's, Odds are it'll never happen to me again. <laughs> yeah. Were you pinching yourself or have you been pinching yourself this entire time when these different opportunities would show up? I mean, you're just at, I think you were just at an F1 race here in Austin, actually. Yeah. Uh, you were at, I think it was the AMAs that you were at. Billboard, what award show was Billboard it? Billboard Music you Award. You were at Billboard yeah. Music Awards. It's like, that's crazy. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I can't. It's weird. It's hard to believe. And it is a thing where I'm like, Did this even happen? Is this, I feel like sometimes... I'm like, am I in a Truman Show situation where everyone's just watching me, like, believe this? But it was actually rigged. Um, it, it does feel pretty unreal. So I jumped ahead a little bit. 
I want to go back to the finish at Boston. So 2011, you were in a battle with Caroline Kalel on Boylston Street, and she she ends up nipping you by a second. You're like this close. <laughs> and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but probably had nightmares of that for a while afterwards. Like I was that close, and I couldn't yeah. close it down. Situation was very different when you turned on to Boylston Street this year. What was going through your head when you made that turn? Did you think back to 2011 at all? Did you try to not let yourself celebrate too early, even though you weren't feeling that intense pressure? I'd love to get your take on that final 600-meter stretch to the finish line. Yeah, I I had no idea what was happening behind me. And I knew I wasn't running super fast. Like, I wasn't dropping quick miles. I, I stopped taking splits because they were meaningless. But I knew that... I was tired and I was hurting. Um, so when I turn left, I'm like, okay, I, I feel good enough. If someone's challenging me in the next 600 meters, I think I can respond. So it's about timing it right. And like, you've done this before. Don't screw it up twice. Like this doesn't happen to people to have another opportunity at this. So I'm, th I'm thinking through all of those things. It was very much on my mind. Um, having no idea what was going on behind me. I was just like, I'm ready to race. Like this is, this is where I fix what I, I screwed up last time, and I'm, I'm ready ready for battle right here. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't until, uh, you know, they, they, if you're winning, they point you to the right. If you're not, they point you to the left. And I go to the right, and Tom Grilk, um, head of BAA, is, he's doing like a fist pump. And I was like, he's not fist pumping <laughs> if someone is going to beat me right now. So that was when I was like, I think I won. I think I got this. And then was able to celebrate. And if you watch the finish line tape replay of it, you can see that moment when mm -hmm. you had that subtle shift in your body language where you went from intense focus, I don't know if I have this yet, to, mm. okay, I got this. I can <laughs> I can celebrate just a little bit. Have you watched the finish of Boston 2018 for yourself? I did, yeah. Someone put it to um, some pretty great music, so there's that. There's a Titanic yes. song, I yeah. believe, which they also did for Kipchoge and so some others. So funny. Best way to watch a finish, Absolutely. I think. They should do that in the stands. Um, so I, <laughs> I saw that first, uh, but I did eventually go back and watch the race. I was totally intrigued by how Yuki ran, So, because normally I wouldn't, I just don't want to see myself. Um, <laughs> I just don't like watching myself or reading about myself, but uh, I, I wanted to see Yuki's race, because that was incredible. Um, and then I did allow myself to watch, you know, my race as well. And I usually turn it off about when I'm hugging Ryan and, and Josh. And I'm like, is this freaking real? And I'm like, oh, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> so I shut it down right there. Hey, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor for this episode. It's one that I'm really excited about because I'm a big believer in the brand and the products they make. It is Morton. For those of you who don't know, well, you're about to know. Morton is the sports fuel used by many of the world's top marathoners, including Elliot Kipchoge, Mo Farah, Mary Katani, and this week's guest, Des Linden, to name a few. It's also what I used recently to help break my own personal best at CIM, where I ran 227.33. I started the race with a bottle of 160, which I ran with and drank over the course of 10K, and then I took a gel 100 packet at miles 12, 18, and 23. I had steady energy throughout the race and no stomach issues, during or after, which was a first for me. Morton's got two core products, a drink mix and gel, both of which encapsulate high concentrations of carbohydrates to fuel you during activity. They only use food-graded ingredients and there are no added flavors, colorants, or preservatives, nothing more and nothing less than what you need. 
Morton's 160 drink mix contains 160 calories, 40 grams of carbohydrate in a 500 milliliter serving, while the 320 drink mix packs 320 calories and 80 grams of carbs into a 500 milliliter serving. That is what the big boys and girls are using out on the roads, folks. The Gel 100, which was used by Elliot Kipchoge when he broke the world record in Berlin this past September, not to mention it's what I used when I broke my own personal best a couple weeks ago. It's 100 calories and 25 grams of carbohydrate in a small, easy-to-open package. The gel is actually a hydrogel, so it's not syrupy. It goes down really smooth and gets absorbed very quickly in your stomach. Morton has set up a special contest for Morning Shakeout listeners where you can win heaps of free products. And here's what you have to do to take advantage of that. Go to morton.com slash amshakeout. That's M-A-U-R-T-E-N dot com slash amshakeout. And register with your email address. And at the end of Morton's sponsorship of this podcast, they're going to draw 10 winners at random. And each winner will get a full box of 160 drink mix, a full box of 320 drink mix, and a full box of gel 100s. That entire package is valued at over $130. You can enter for your chance to win at morton.com slash amshakeout. That's M-A-U-R-T-E-N dot com slash amshakeout. My thanks to Morton for their support of the Morning Shakeout podcast. Now let's get back to the show. Let's talk about Yuki's win yeah. at Boston as well. You're a fan of the sport. You can get opinionated on it, and we might here in a little <laughs> bit. But for me, in a lot of ways, it restored my faith in the sport because there were two athletes who I followed for a long time and that I know, I can believe in, yeah. have won the biggest marathon yeah. in the U.S. on the world stage. And we haven't seen that all that often. And and for me, as a as a fan and follower of the sport, it was validating in yeah. some ways. As an athlete, um, let's say looking more at Yuki's race than your own, did it validate some things for you in that regard? Yeah, I mean, it was just really cool to see a guy who, like you're saying, you, you believe in, he just, he works hard and he makes the race his own and he knew that opportunity was that day was built for him. Right. He's like, I'm the toughest guy. I race every weekend. I do ultras and he's the toughest guy on the line. And he was like, I'm going to, I'm going to capitalize. I'm going to make this opportunity matter. And I'm not going to let it, I'm not going to waste it. Um, and, but he's like, he's like us. He's like everybody, right. He's every person who lines up in Boston or every person who lines up in a marathon, he's just a grinder. And so, um, it was cool. It was like, the guys that are like us can get it done. Yeah. So yeah, for me, that it was really special. And I think you, just going back into my reading from the race, you both almost said the same exact thing. You just had the article that Bonnie Ford wrote where you said everyone else on the bus is like, <laughs> oh my God, I can't believe I got to run in this shit. And you're like, this is the greatest thing yeah. ever. Um, like, I can't wait to get out there. And Yuki said something along the same lines where he said, for me, the conditions were... Perfect. How important is that mindset? Not just that specific mindset, but mindset in general heading into a race where there are extenuating circumstances or things just aren't status quo. Yeah. I mean, the the mental part's the 1%, I think, for a lot of people. And just having confidence and trust and faith in yourself, I mean, control the controllables. Um, and I think both of us did that on the day. Um yeah, I mean, it's it's 
looking at everything as an opportunity and figuring out how to manage a puzzle instead of just throwing in the towel because something was difficult. Was it more than 1% on that day? <laughs> I think probably probably on that day, yeah. <laughs> okay. A lot's changed for you since Boston. Um, one of the most obvious to me and many other fans of sport is your training situation. You stepped away from Hanson's Brooks and you had, for all intents and purposes, kind of been away from the team for a while, at least in terms of like geographic location. You would just stay at your house and train mostly on your own. When did you start thinking about the fact that it was time for a change or for you to change your situation? Yeah, I, it was really tricky because I just, I trust those guys and I know the program worked for me, but I think coming off of that 2017 and feeling like I was in a slump and um, getting the same schedule and feeling like it was another carbon copy of what I had been doing, I just didn't see any room for growth or anything different. I think I could have kept kept getting the exact same results for a long time. And I think I could have plateaued very nicely, um, you know, as a top five in the majors uh, for a few more years. But I don't want to walk away from the sport and say, what if? And that's the whole point of, like, doing this professionally. It's like, how good can I be? And I don't want to have regrets of, like, what if I, you know, had had gone pro instead of getting that job and the whole thing. And, And so I just felt like I had put in a really good amount of time. I've gotten great results from it, but let's just try something else. Cause what if there's something that I'm not doing that might make me a little bit better? Can we talk about Dathan? Sure. So Thursday before Boston this past year, I saw you at an event and I had mentioned, I remember mentioning how it was a bummer that Dathan couldn't start Boston because he had had an injury. And I remember your reaction to that being a little uneasy and it surprised me a bit at the time and then since then I mean I've seen some of the articles where you have spoken up about the fact that you weren't consulted about him being on the team but you weren't talked to about it and you for lack of a better term just didn't agree with bringing him you know on board how Mm -hmm. much did that affect your decision to step away from the Hansons? Um, it was part of it, you know, it was certainly part of the conversation. Um, I think it made a really tough decision a tick easier and one, because I didn't necessarily agree with it. Uh, but two, they had chatty, they have Dathan, you know, they have everything set up for a really great program. Um, so I felt comfortable stepping aside too. I mean, it just made a just one part of the equation. Yeah. And Hanson's Brooks arguably has done a lot for American distance running. Brian Sell, before you, made yeah. the Olympic team. Um, you've made the Olympic team. You've now won Boston. How much, even though you're not part of the group anymore, how much pride do you feel for the impact that yeah. you've had on the group and then that group's impact on running yeah. in general? Yeah, it's, I mean, an incredible program to have been part of in I saw Trent Briney in here today and we, we chatted about, you know, being on the team together. And I saw Carly Shea and, uh, and Terry in, where was I, Philly a couple of weeks ago. And we chatted about being on the team together. I met, I met so many amazing people and have trained with incredible people. And we all brought something to the table. And it's, uh, it's just, it just was really cool to be a part of. Um, and, you know, I think 
that will go on for a very long time and they'll still do great things. And, um, yeah, it's just, I think that there'll be stories about Brian for forever and they'll influence how people train at the Hansons. And I hope there's stories about me and that influences people there. And, um, it's, it's great to be part of something that's bigger than yourself. And obviously group training, um, you're seeing the results of that in the success of American distance running right now. And I think that original distance project is, is Hansons and that idea you know, kind of made these groups pop up all over and it's super valuable. Early on in your time at the Hansons, when you were living closer to Rochester Hills, you were running with the group on a more regular basis. I think that was instrumental in your development as an athlete. And in recent years, you know, after you and Ryan got married, moved away a little bit, you were, did a lot more of your training, you know, on your own. Was that a natural sort of evolution for you where as you got older and had more experience where maybe you didn't need the group as much or it felt better to be training solo or I guess just what's your, you know, kind of what's your thinking around, you know, the importance of the group and then being able to strike out on your own. Yeah. I mean, I, I did most of the stuff with the group up until fall of 2017. Okay. So, I mean, I think it's great. And, it's, you have these balances of speed people and, you know, strength people. And, um, it's, it was always very valuable, um, and get to have great teammates and the whole thing. Um, but I think there's a point for me where I, I'm going to date, age myself here, but it's like every year, these 22 year olds come in and it's great. And they're, they're going to do track stuff for a while before they move up to the marathon. It just gets tougher and tougher to kind of fit in with it. Um, and I'm 35. So like we have less and less to talk about and it just, I felt like, and they bounce back so much damn faster than we do. Yeah. And they start their runs really quick and the whole, like, it's just, um, it got tougher and tougher and it's hard to, the one thing that's been steady about the Hansons is that people leave, you know, you get, to your thirties and it's like, all right, I need to go do my job. I'm super lucky that I've been able to do this as a career. Um, but all my friends that I've made have left. And, uh, I got to the point where it's like, I need something a little more stable, you know, and the, the training was never it, but it was like, I, I needed to do my home yeah. and take care of me in this way. When you stepped away, how long did you contemplate who you would work with next? Um, it was pretty quick. I mean, I've known Walt for a really long time and we, he's, he lives in Charlevoix and we had talked about quite a bit of stuff, uh, beforehand and, um, you know, for my listeners, Walt coached you in college, in college, yeah, at Arizona state. And then, uh, it was just getting him on board with it. (laughs) Was that a tough sell? Tougher than I, uh, would have liked. (laughs) Hey, Walt, I just won this little race in Massachusetts. Do you want to coach me? (laughs) He's busy. I mean, uh, Michigan State is doing incredible things, and um, you know, I, I don't. There's not a lot of upside for him. Like, I, you've, you just won this little race in Massachusetts. Like, what's next, and how can I top that, and where, where can I take you? You know, so I can understand the unease, and like, I don't know. Is it, you know, is it worth my time? Um, and it's been a while since he's coached a marathoner, so it was, it was kind of some funny conversations where he's like, you're, sh- you're stressing me out. And I'm like, I'm not, that's not my intention. <laughs> you're a pretty low maintenance gal. Yeah, I try to be. <laughs> yeah. How has that transition been? Fun. It's been really fun. I think it was, it was fun printing out these training logs for like 13 years or whatever and handing them over and him being like, holy shit, like that's a lot of stuff. 
Um, but also him going through and just having fresh eyes and being like, you can definitely add this or we can definitely tweak that or, you know, this is what I think might take you to somewhere new. Um, and so it was just, it's just ready for different, I think. Yeah, kind of realizing like this is clearly worked for her. Yeah. But at the same time, as you said, to make that next jump, let's optimize some of these other elements of your training. What have those elements been for you specifically? Yeah, build just, up to New York. Uh, t- touching on speed stuff a lot more. Um, definitely putting in some strength training, like weight, not weight room yet, but we'll get there eventually, but some just uh, core and overall body strength. Um, Tanner, was, had you not done any of that during your time with busted. the Hansons? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I mean, there, there wasn't, I mean, everyone kind of came out of college with their own plan, so mm-hmm. it was like, do what works for you, but right. it was never like here's the plan for what we do. And this is why it makes sense. So, um, you know, I, it's it, it, for me now, it's really just going back to what I did in college. Okay. So, and back to some of those specific elements, what are like from an X's and O's standpoint, mm-hmm. has there been drastic changes to either your mileage or the focus of your workouts compared to past marathon blocks? Um, it's, not there's nothing crazy drastic that's changed. I mean, what's been neat is that it's really flexible. So, you know, I got sick one day and he happened to call me on the phone and I'm like, yeah, I'm a little under the weather. He's like, well, don't do the workout right now. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm heading out the door. He's like, no, like you're, you need to push it until two days from now. And I'm like, this is bizarre. I would never do that in the past. You just do the workout sick and recover, you know? And so, um, that's been super different. And then turnover stuff, like getting on the track and doing, uh, you know, 300, 500, 400 at just, you know, fast paces and being able to recover well from it, you know, getting the extra little days in between is different. So who else is part of your team that you're either bouncing stuff off of on a regular basis or just trying to get feedback from as you're, you know, as you're not part of this official like team environment anymore yeah i mean most of it's with walt and then um some of the other outside stuff um i'll pitch to john ball you know the strength stuff and just getting that specific um but it's mostly those two looking ahead just ran new york assuming no marathons on the agenda until spring where do you see the rest of your career on the roads going yeah, I um a couple more mar- major marathons. Would love to do that. Uh love to be at the trials, hopefully at the games. Um and I think I don't want to say I'm winding down after that, but I might just be turning in a different direction. I would love to get on the trails. I would love to do a 50k. Um just different challenges, you know. I don't want to compare myself to the past results and just see myself get slowly get worse and worse. Um which is inevitable, right? But I think new challenges will keep it really fun and interesting. What is it about the trails and ultras specifically that is hanging around in your mind? Because we talked a little bit about that on our last podcast. We've kind of talked about it informally, you know, sort of in passing. I'd love to dig into that yeah. a little bit more. Like what what has sparked your interest in yeah. that? Well, I mean, I love just being out on a quiet country road and like this peacefulness that comes with running when you're, you know, just – some were gorgeous and enjoying it. And I just think, I mean, it's probably not what mountain racing is like, but you get to go to these amazing places and see things that, um, 
are incredible and you, you have to work for it. <laughs> so I like that. Um, I, I think talk about why I had success in Boston. It's a 26.2 mile race that this year that felt like 30, right? Like you add in the wind and the conditions and it's, it suddenly feels longer, which is part of why I have this advantage in, in my mind. And so why not test that theory out in the actual distance? You know, I think that there's, I can finish a marathon feeling like I could probably go another 10 miles. I just couldn't go a lick faster. So well, let's see how far we can extend that. Um, I, I think those are all intriguing to me. Does the thought of staying on the roads for a little bit longer, but going longer, like 50K, 100K stuff on the roads intrigue you at all? Or is it like, once I put this part of my career behind me, I'm going straight to the mountains? Dina's waving at me. I do, <laughs> Um no, I could see myself on the road still too. I would, I, I, yeah, I would like to try and run fast in a 50k, you know, see what we can do there and eventually work up to longer than that, but start with 50k. <laughs> I know that you pay some attention to the sport of ultra running. What have been some of the specific events or results mm-hmm. or athletes that have inspired you yeah. to think more about that in the future? I love what Magda has done post uh, marathon or Olympics, and she just transitioned really nice into that space. And she always looks like she's having the time of her life. And I think that's partially just how she is as a person. But she has. You can't help but want to emulate that. Yeah, 100%. I'm like, oh, I want to do that when I'm done. Like, this is the perfect way to transition out of, you know, being on the roads. And she, she makes it look really appealing. Um, I love what Tim Tollefson does and guy out in Mammoth, uh, coached by this guy, I know, um, <laughs> sitting across the table from you right <laughs> you now, know, he's doing all right too. And, um, uh, comrades has always been fascinating to me and, uh, the Chamonix France, uh, mountain running up there looks incredible. I've been to that area and I can, can't imagine, you know, running there. Um, have you ever run on those types of trails before where it's like straight up or straight down where in some instances you can't even run? Yeah. I mean, not for long stretches, but I think it'll be entertaining. Like, I'm sure it's a totally different skill. I, I, some people just think like, oh, you're a good marathon. You're going to transition just fine. I'm like, it's a different sport. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, absolutely, different sport. it absolutely is. And that yeah. was one of the biggest learnings for me coming from this sort of track cross country road background and you start thinking of trails and you think of that crushed gravel path that is along the river here in in Austin. And and some of those races exist, but the ones that people get excited about and want to get into are these big, huge mountains. And it is, it's a different, you're using, it's a different sport. You're using different parts of your body. Um, You're out there a lot longer. So mentally you're dealing, you know, with different things. And I know speaking for myself personally, and I know others have been in the situation as well. It can be humbling at first because you know, you have, some of us have that stubborn runner mentality where you're like, I'm not going to hike up this thing. Hike, right. Like I just don't hike. And then you're like, Oh, well that's actually kind of a more efficient way <laughs> to, to do it. And you sort yeah. of like swallow your pride and, and you sort of, you know, you just wrap your head around it in a yeah. different way. And I do think, you know, there are definitely aspects from a fitness standpoint and psychologically that, mm-hmm. that translate, but it is a completely different sport. I love that. I think it's one of those things where you just really have to check your ego. And I like that you can you just go in with an open mind and be like, I might be horrible at this. I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to assume that I'm going to be great. I'm just going to go and find out. And, um, there's, I just feel like there's no room for ego there. Yeah. <laughs> Your agent, Josh Cox, who is standing to our left here is yeah. still the American 50 K <laughs> record holder and has dabbled in some ultra races. Yeah. How much do you talk to him about that? Or is it just not 
something you guys talk about at this point? Um, we haven't talked about it much, really. But, I, I, yeah, he's probably a great person that I could start with and start picking his brain and, and see what the options are and, you know, if it makes sense. So it's, it's a great resource for yeah. sure. And how much of interest in trail and ultra running in the future is driven as a way to channel your competitiveness in another direction. Do you fear, like, you just don't know, do you fear at all, like, where that competitive outlet is going to be for you? Yeah, I think that's the biggest, probably one of the toughest things about retiring is you've kind of created this identity and it's where you go and um, you just do your thing, right? And to have that completely taken away would be odd, but I also get at a certain point, you know, I'm not going to be challenging PRs. I'm not going to be competing for wins. So am I going to be excited about running marathons? still? I don't know. Um, but if you have a new challenge where you can't compare yourself to the past and you just are out there learning and finding out, uh, there's like that improvement rate and you can watch yourself grow and get better. And I think that's, that's important too, beyond just competing yeah well i think that's awesome because even the average runner can resonate with that we all get to that point where we can't go fast faster anymore um it's hard thing to accept but we all get there (laughs) and it's taking on those those new challenges and i think that's what can keep running fresh and exciting even though it's something that you've been doing for a long time yeah it's it's great that we have the opportunity to do that and running is you know it's right foot left foot it doesn't matter the surface or whatever but you can do it in a ton of different ways and you can go in a lot of different directions and, and keep it fresh I'd say one of the best attributes that you bring to the table as an athlete, which I personally think will translate well to trail and ultra running, is your scrappiness. You just have that in your nature. Would you disagree with that? No, thank you. That's a nice compliment. (laughs) Where does that come from? Um, I think it's... I mean, I think it's always being so close, but, you know, really wanting to get to that next level... Um, I don't know. I, I guess if I went way back to the beginning, it was probably being the tiniest person on a soccer field and knowing you have to be the ball quickest, you have to get it off your foot quickest, you have to, you know, fight every battle harder than everybody else because otherwise you're just going to get left on the ground. Um, and that was always how I had to play sports growing up. And I think it just translated to running, even though it's not a physical sport. It's like you know, you got to you got to fight for everything here. Is that scrappiness? translate into other parts of your life? (laughs) I think so. I mean, um, I'm not afraid of working hard and putting in time and um, being bad, but figuring out how to get better and solving problems. So um, I I like to take that, you know, obviously running is the majority of my life. It's my job. But, you know, with the coffee thing, it's like we're going to figure out every opportunity and let's capitalize on it. Let's, you know, let's be really good at this if we're going to do it. and it's a lot of other things too. I mean, go fishing with Ryan and it's like, no, mine's bigger, <laughs> you know, like everything's kind of a competition, but it's, it's a healthy balance too. <laughs> Since you mentioned the coffee thing, yeah. Linden and True Coffee, which is the company that you started with your husband, Ryan, and then Sarah and Ben True. It's interesting because you launched that at <laughs> Boston last, yeah. you know, last time I saw you, um, and since then, it has taken off. Mm-hmm. I mean, I joined as a founding member. You sold that out. Yeah. You're selling bags of beet rinds. Like, I can't even, I can't roast fast enough yeah. at, at this point. And it's it's become a thing. Um, what is your specific involvement with it at this point, given that you're still 
training yeah. hard and competing. You're actually you're all training hard and competing yeah. hard. I mean, Sarah just finished what fourth at Kona. So, yeah. and Ben's still at it, and Ryan's still at it. So, I'd I'd love to know how you guys divvy up the work, given that <laughs> you're doing all these other things. Yeah, I'm hype machine, so I don't do much. Um, no, it's it's actually really great how our schedules are because everyone's kind of got their main season at a different time. And, you know, when Sarah's getting ready for Conan, it's like, don't touch anything. I'll do social and I'll do like, you know, labels or whatever it may be. And you just worry about your race. You worry about that. And then she's coming off of that and I'm getting ready for New York. And she's like, you know, don't, don't touch anything. Um, and so it's kind of just naturally flowed that way. And I, the next couple of years will be interesting with Olympic trials and more important, you know, events being on the, the schedule and deciding how we're going to divvy that out. But um, speaking of scrappy, I would say Ryan is the guy who just is like, I'll figure it out. Give it to me. I'll figure it out. And he, he is really enjoying the coffee stuff and he loves the business side of things. And He's so, grinding literally and figuratively. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's great. And look, I mean, I feel like I work hard. I work pretty hard. And then I'm, you know, taking a nap midday or something. And, and Ryan got up early, did his bike ride, uh, roasted for a couple hours, does his full-time job. And then he goes out for a run. I'm like, I'm so lazy. <laughs> it's the worst, but yeah, makes it work. So this launch at Boston, we last talked, it was before Boston it was the early part of this year. And I remember I asked you like, what is post running hold for Desmond? And you, uh, so graciously told me, well, yeah, thanks for scaring the crap out of me. I have no idea what I'm going to do, but now you guys have this thing, which I hope selfishly lasts for yeah. a long time and can be something you eventually devote kind of more time to and maybe grow, you know, in different ways. How much have you thought about this now is something that is going to sustain you beyond your running career? Quite a bit. I mean, it was just, you just fall into luck like that. I mean, that we launched that a couple days before Boston is just, it was luck. It wasn't by design at all. Um, but when you, you do that and then all these opportunities are put in your plates, like you can't goof this up. You have to have to make something out of this. And so uh, I definitely see that being a bigger um, part of our lives once I retire. And even maybe in the very near future, we might have some... Um, changes and updates there and some growth so there could be announcements has maybe. it surprised you <laughs> at all how quickly it's grown just since april yeah i mean we we're expected a big way more than we we're prepared for right after boston we're like okay this will be like a month or two where everything is just bonkers and then it'll, that little wind helped yeah yeah for sure we're not prepared for that but we're like it'll it'll die down um but we've seen like steady growth and all of a sudden it's like we're not like pushing it in people's face all the time but it's holding its own and even snowballing into something a little bit bigger um without not that we're not putting effort in but it's it's surprisingly less than we thought we thought after you know a month or two this is we're gonna have to really work to get people to talk about this and be interested and want to drink it switching gears a little bit one last thing before we wrap up here one of my last podcast guests was Dan Cruz, who was the PR director at the Rock and Roll Marathon Series. If you've been in the sport and you've been at a rock and roll, yeah. you know who Dan Cruz is. And he's a very likable uh -huh. guy, and he has a very informed and interesting perspective yeah. on the sport. And one of the things that we talked about was how athletes can just help grow the sport and yeah. be more interesting. And, and his solution was they should talk more trash, and there needs to be more <laughs> rivalries. And basically, athletes just need to take a few more 
risks and just not be so self-conscious all the time when they're either posting stuff on social media or giving an interview. And I think when I posted that quote on, on Instagram, you got back to me with a little applause. And yeah. I'd love to dig into that <laughs> a little bit because you are you, know, you are that athlete who is very open, very honest, and some people may like what you have to say yeah. and others don't. <laughs> what? What? Uh, this is news? Yeah, I'm I know. This is, sorry, sorry to break it to you. Um, but, you know, how important is that, like, just that kind of authenticity um, yeah. amongst athletes for not only just making the sport interesting, but just making people take it more seriously? Well, I think you, you have to have a personality and you have to share what we're doing. Otherwise, I mean, if you... It's the tree falling in the woods and no one, you know, like if we don't have an audience, we don't have a sport. And so figure out how you can be engaging and tell your story. And every story is interesting. I mean, talk to these athletes all the time. There's always something that's cool about them or they're interested in. Um, And just share it. Don't be afraid to share it. And it's true. You're not going to make everybody happy. Some people are going to love you. Some people are going to hate you. And that's okay. Like just be you. And if you're comfortable with that, share it. And the right people will become your fans and part of your, you know, following and you can share your story with them, but they're all really interesting. And and the more we have out there, the more fans we're going to create. And that that's just, it's great for the sport. I mean, I think coming off of Boston, I've had all these opportunities and, you know, some people can look at it as self-promoting for sure, a hundred percent. And that's certainly true to a degree. Um, But it's like, you take every one of them if you can, because it's, good for the sport. It's good for me. It's good for Brooks. It's, um, I was talking about this earlier. I was at the, the Lions game on Thanksgiving and they put the Boston video up on the Thanksgiving day and the big, the big screen and they're, they're showing Boston and then they show me in a wave, whatever. But you know, it's amazing. It's really cool. And I look at Ryan, I'm like, it's November and they're still putting Boston up. Like people, it's still on people's radar, and like they still care. And you have to extend yourself, and you have to do those things. Hey, events are still bringing Bill Rogers to speak forty years later, right? 30, 40 years later. And he does it. And he does it well. And he go, he's super engaging, and yeah. he's got a great story. And like, not everyone loves Bill, but most people do. So, I mean, it just it's okay to sell it a little bit. Yeah, well, that's a great example because here you are in a non-endemic environment. People are there to watch a football game. But they're watching this on the screen because it's being put in front of them. And some people may have no idea that right. you had won Boston. Yeah. They're like, that's pretty cool. And someone else might be inspired by it. And is like, I want to find out more about this person. I see what you're all about. And they're like, that girl's my hero. Like, I want to I want to go train for a marathon now or do that. And that's, I can't see a downside to that. Right. It's a totally different audience. And maybe you create some fans from that. Yeah. So, yeah. That was a good thing. You're a fan of the sport. <laughs> yourself yeah who in running right now is doing interesting and exciting stuff that you would applaud yeah um that's a good question i love i mean i love what ben's ben rosario's team does i think it's really cool that uh scott fobble did did the book i bought it i'm a sucker I'm like i want to check this out um so I think they're doing fantastic. Uh, and they have so many different directions, too. You have Steph's story, which is great. And then you have, you know, Scott, who does his own thing. And they all do it within this team environment. It's just it's a really great energy they have. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, all the groups are, are great. And it's just a, a better way to kind of promote brands. Uh, the Beasts are fantastic. And they have their stories. And um, it's easy to root for them. And, you know, you, you have a team to root for, which is kind of cool. I mean, not... 
not a, really a team sport, but if you can figure that component out and make people want to buy your jersey or care about your team, that's that's pretty special too. Any others? Um, I'm thinking. I'm digging deep. I'm sure I'm missing, like, I'll, I'll walk away and be like, oh, yeah, there's five right here. <laughs> what do you got? What are you thinking? I didn't expect it to be thrown yeah. thrown back my way, so I, uh, I appreciate you challenging me a little bit. Well, I have said this in other places before. I also love what Nazalie is doing. I love that Ben is so not just open but willing to share what his athletes are doing, the good, bad, you know, and the ugly. And I got a sneak peek at – Fobble's book as well and there's some ugly stuff in there and I think that's like that's you know it's a very vulnerable position to to put yourself in but I commend them for doing that because not everyone you know not everyone is um I think what's really interesting and this isn't to say there aren't other pro athletes who are doing things well but I love what's what's happening you know it's mostly on a on a social level but it also has a an in-person component as well but are are some of these like sub-elite runners who have either a presence on Instagram or they're doing some cool things, you know, in their own community and just seeing, you know, seeing how relatable they are and seeing people just kind of get inspired by that. Like good example is I'm running Cal International on Sunday. I'm hoping to take down a PR that's now 11 years old. If you had asked me (laughs) five years ago, if I would PR in the marathon again, I'd say, no, I'm done with that stuff. Like I'll race other marathons, but I'm okay running like, you know, 236 or, or 238 and you know I have people that I follow who have become friends um my friend Peter Bromka Patrick Reeves uh you know these guys in the last two years they've taken their marathon times down to like 223 and I'm not shooting fat now they're like we're gonna go for the trials we may not get it yeah. but shit we're gonna give ourselves a shot yeah. and I see that and I'm like well I'm, you know I I'm realistic as well that's I'm not gonna run 219 but yeah why, why can't I go after a PR? And that like inspires and excites me. Um, and I think it's cool that that's happening right now. Um, and I think that's good. You know, that is good for, you know, that, that level down from, you know, the elites because it just generates excitement for competition, uh, and for continuing to, you know, try and better yourself as you get older. And yeah, there's, there's going to be an end point to that as we talked about, you know, earlier, but it kind of at 36, it reignited me to just kind of give it another go because I realized, well, I'm physically able, Yeah, I'm excited to do it. And like, I'm going to CIM, I could very well run 228 and I'll be like 135th place. Um, (laughs) It's kind of amazing. Which is amazing. I mean, last year was 106 guys broke 230. And it's like, that's, and you know, it's that, that's amazing. And it's just like, just to be a part of that and to be in that situation where like, yeah, for me, I'm chasing a personal best. My wife's trying to qualify for Boston. I got friends trying to qualify for the trials. Other friends trying to qualify for Boston. Athletes that I coach trying to finish maybe their, you know, their first marathon or break three and a half hours or whatever it can be. And it's like, that's, you know, that's exciting me more right now than it ever has. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I think that's a great thing for everyone. I think social makes it so accessible too, right? Like you get to the point where you're like, oh, I've heard it around me and I feel like I'm done. And I think... PRs are, are gone for now. And then all of a sudden you see people doing it and you're like, oh, I don't, actually don't have an excuse. Yeah. <laughs> and so sometimes it takes seeing someone else's story. Um, and that's why I think they're all worth sharing. Like, just tell your story. It's okay. Go ahead and self-promote a little bit. It's yeah. fine. Um, it, it might connect with somebody. It might inspire somebody. And it is, it's accessible when it's someone at that level who's going, yeah, I'm like trying to PR and I'm 36. This is 
tough, but I think I can do it. And then they do it and you go, oh, like, why not me? And yeah. that happens at the top level and it happens all the way through. So it, it is kind of the why not me? And you never know who's going to connect with what you put out there. Yeah, exactly. You never know who you're going to inspire. Last question, kind yeah. of a loaded one. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, you may like it. One thing that I really like and respect about you, and you really got into this on Michael Gervais' Finding Mastery podcast, is you really just do not give a <laughs> shit what people think about you. Um, and I, I respect that and I love that. But stepping away from that, not that your career is over yet and it's going to keep going for a while, but how would you like people to think about you or remember you? That's a great question. It is loaded. Um, I guess maybe authentic. I mean, I don't want to frame what anybody thinks about me or they should think this way or that way, but everything they got was pretty real. You know, like, I think you can decide how you feel about me, but it was all genuine. I don't know if that answers the question. No, that answers it, it beautifully. And I think that's a great place to wrap up this conversation. Thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. Thanks for having me. All right. That is it for this week's conversation with Des Linden. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you did, if you've been enjoying the Morning Shakeout podcast all along, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to audio and leave a rating and a review. That's the best way that you can support the show. It only takes a second. It helps other listeners to discover this podcast, and it really means a lot to me. So thank you so much to those of you who have done so already. Also, a big thank you to our sponsor for this episode. It is my friends at Morton. If you don't know what Morton is, well, you are about to know. Morton is the sports fuel used by many of the world's top marathoners, including Elliot Kipchoge, Mo Farah, Mary Katani, this week's guest, Des Linden, and yours truly. I am not one of the world's top marathoners, but I did set a personal best at CIM running 227.33, and I used Morton to fuel me during the race. I started with a bottle of 160. I ran with it through 10K, and then I had three gel 100 packets at miles 12, 18, and 23. I had no stomach issues during the race. I had no problems afterward, and that is a first for me. While Morton has set up a special contest for Morning Shakeout listeners, you can win heaps of free product, and here's what you have to do. Go to morton.com slash amshakeout, that's M-A-U-R-T-E-N slash amshakeout, and register with your email address. At the end of Morton's sponsorship of this podcast, they are going to draw 10 winners at random. Each winner will get a full box of 160 drink mix, a full box of 320 drink mix, and a full box of gel 100 packets. That entire package, folks, is valued at over $130. You can enter for your chance to win at morton.com slash amshakeout. That's M-A-U-R-T-E-N dot com slash amshakeout. That's all I've got for this week's episode. One last thank you to my man, John Summerford of bearsrecords.com. He is the man behind the audio magic here at the Morning Shakeout. He makes the show sound as good as it does week in and week out, and I am super grateful for all his assistance. All right, well, until next time, I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Mm -hmm.